Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, good morning. My name is David. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. I've not had a chance to meet you. Just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, it's great to see you all. Uh, great to be able to worship the Lord. I just wanted to take a quick moment uh, in light of a failed screen and point out the amazing work that our media team does week in and week out so that we never even notice all these crazy things that are going on in the background. And so they're working furiously to fix that, um, but also just reminds me of all the ways people serve in the background that are unseen. Um, And so just whether it's ushers and greeters, altar guild, children's ministry, uh, it takes a lot of folks to make things happen. And so I'm just really grateful for the way that we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And uh, and we experience that week in and week out. Uh, This morning, we are continuing in our fall series called Living Water for Thirsty People. And we're looking at John chapter 4 and Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman. And in particular, we're considering what Jesus wants to teach us about this ministry of evangelism. So I want to encourage you to open a Bible. There should be one in the seat backs near you. Open a Bible to John chapter 4. We're going to look at those verses I just read. And just uh, as you're turning there to John chapter 4, verse 7, just uh, again, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, and I just want to encourage us. The truth is most of us feel uh, at least a little intimidated and often ill-equipped for this ministry of evangelism, for sharing about our faith, sharing about Jesus, sharing the gospel with others. And so one of my hopes is that in this series that what we are uh, experiencing, what we're asking the Holy Spirit really to do is to teach us to overcome our fears and our pride, perhaps, and to give us God's loving heart for the lost. That that's what would animate our desire to go out into the world and share this good news. And so this morning, we're going to be looking again at John chapter 4 with all that in mind. And I want to do it through a particular lens. I want to do it through the lens of our apprenticeship to Jesus. Uh, what I mean by that is, as, as Christians, we are followers of Jesus. That's what we talk about here, being a community following Jesus in Houston. And so we talk about this in the language of apprenticeship sometimes. An apprentice is someone who is a, a follower, who is a learner, who is watching and learning from their master. And in this case, as followers of Christ, Jesus is our master. He is our rabbi. And so he is the one who is always teaching. And he's teaching us not just truths, but a way of life. So that as we follow him, we experience life in him, we begin to look like him and sound like him and act like him. And so that's why as, as followers of Jesus here, we talk about this uh, way of discipleship as being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. So as apprentices, I want us to look at Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher this morning, uh, as he encounters this woman at the well in John chapter 4. And so just as we get started here, uh, right off the bat, I just want to highlight something Jesus initially arrives at the well. Before the woman shows up, he arrives at the well with who? Who's with him as he travels? 
His disciples. Okay, so his apprentices are with him as he travels along. They come to this well, and then uh, they decide they're going to go get food. So they leave him, and they go off to a nearby town to get food. So this begs a simple question, I think, as we read through this encounter with the Samaritan woman. If they weren't there, right, if they weren't at the well when he was talking with this woman, how does John, who wrote this account, know what happened? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but how, how does John have such a, a, a detailed account of even like the conversation? And the simplest explanation is, well, because Jesus told him what happened while they were off in town getting food. And this is really interesting to me, that Jesus doesn't just tell John what he said. In other words, he doesn't just distill it down to some kind of basic takeaways and here's the essential lesson of, you know, you weren't here, so I'll just give you the kind of bullet points. John actually captures and shares with us a firsthand account of the actual conversation that Jesus recounted to him as a firsthand witness. And so to me, this is hugely important as we kind of step back and think about this through the lens of apprenticeship. You may be saying, well, that's cool, but I don't understand why. Why does that matter so much? Here's why I think it matters. It matters because as apprentices, we always want to be paying attention to Jesus. Jesus is always teaching us something. He's always teaching us. And here, Jesus is teaching us profound spiritual truths. We get that. And we'll talk about those different truths. We talked about some and we'll talk about more. But he's also modeling for us. He's modeling for us how to think the way he thinks. And he's modeling for us how to talk the way he talks and how to love people like him, and how to share the gospel like him. And so we get this beautiful picture in John 4. I believe Jesus is modeling what I would call the art of spiritual conversation. The art of spiritual conversation. And I like the word art because I don't think it's a science. And this is, this is what I mean by that. I remember as a kid, uh, probably in my teenage years, discovering Miles Davis. Do we have any jazz fans? Uh, okay, so yeah, I see some hands going up. Jazz, I loved it when I discovered it. It was particularly uh, beautiful and powerful to me because of the improvisational nature of great jazz. In other words, it's music that comes off the page. It's not following a strict script. And so when you listen to Miles Davis and he blares out those opening notes and with his trumpet, and then somebody else chimes in with the trombone. Somebody else kind of responds to that with the keys or a standing bass. Like what you end up having is this beautiful musical conversation that's taking place. And it creates this unique unscripted song that is one of a kind and that it's never going to be exactly duplicated just like that. And I think that's what spiritual conversation is like. I think that's what's happening here in John chapter four. No one's saying do exactly what Jesus did, say exactly what Jesus did every time you tell somebody about Jesus. If we read the text that way, we miss the point. Spiritual conversations are the fruit of time spent with Jesus, of time studying God's word, of time in the practice of prayer, but they're not scripted. They're not boilerplate, in other words. Rather, it's as if Jesus and his truth is becoming so much a part of who we are, scripture is so much a part of our vernacular, the way we talk, 
that we begin to improvisationally and without even really thinking too hard about it, weave God into almost every conversation in a way that's authentic and natural and unique to any given person in any given moment. My hope, my hope in giving us this illustration, this comparison with jazz music is that it will relieve some of the anxiety I think that some of us have that the way to share the gospel is to make sure we use all the right words in all the right sequence and that it's all about having all these things kind of lined up and memorized and we just kind of approach it that way. It's this kind of rigid, scripted approach to sharing the gospel. There are truths. There are biblical truths that we have to hold to. Jesus, though, wants to speak through us and work through us and let the scriptures seep out of us, in a sense, into our everyday experiences and become just a way, part of the way that we talk with people, whether we're speaking here on a Sunday or around our dinner table or with those who don't know Jesus. It just becomes the way that we talk spiritual conversation. So with that in mind, what I want us to do is I want to just look briefly at John chapter 4 together, not as a script, but as a model. Jesus is modeling some simple practices that can inspire all of us to become better, I think, at talking with other people about this God who we have come to know and love. And so I want you to look at verse 7 with me. And The question is, how does this whole conversation that Jesus is having with this woman, how does it begin? What are they talking about right off the bat? Not a trick question, I promise. What are they talking about? Water. They're talking about water. Okay, now skip down to verse 26. Where does this conversation about water lead? What's the last thing he says? He says, I am, right? That sound familiar? I am, I am he, I'm the Messiah. Yahweh is I am in the Old Testament. God himself in the flesh. In other words, Jesus begins with this everyday topic of water and 19 verses later, we're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, right? And it's just amazing the way that Jesus uses everyday language to connect with people right where they are, to lead to a conversation about himself. So Jesus is at a well. He's thirsty. He asks for some water. And then he uses that to explain the gospel. It's amazing, right? It's beautiful. It's an art is what we're witnessing. And it's Jesus, in other words, giving the gospel of water (laughs) to this woman at the well. And then they off they go into this conversation. Here's what's interesting to me about this. Jesus is always doing this. This is just one example from the Gospels of how Jesus does this. If you flip back to chapter 3, flip back to chapter 3, and what's the conversation there? It's between Jesus and Nicodemus, and what are they talking about? What's the illustration that he uses? What's the everyday language he's using to explain the Gospel? It's birth, childbirth. Okay, you can't get much more kind of nitty-gritty in the everyday of life than childbirth, and Jesus goes right there and begins to talk about the gospel in those terms. Jesus loved using metaphors and similes about plants and seeds and animals and farming and building and weather and food, homes, relationships, all this everyday stuff. Now, why is that? It's because these were the everyday things in the lives of the everyday people he was ministering to. 
This is the way the God of the universe, who took on flesh, chooses to speak with people. Everyday language, right where they are. What's fascinating to me, too, is if you look forward into um, some of the books of the New Testament, some of followers, the followers of Jesus, for example, the book of James, what you find is the same thing happening in their language. Jesus' brother, James, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he takes up this practice of Jesus talking about the gospel in terms of everyday things like flowers and grass. And so he followed Jesus' example. He took up his way of speaking. I think this is really helpful for me because so often I think I put pressure on myself in everyday conversations, and this is especially true, I think, because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to talk about Jesus with everybody I meet, to launch into these deep spiritual conversations with a profound thought or some challenging truth right off the bat. And what I think Jesus is freeing us to do as the creator of all things, who sees all things as entry points of conversation into the gospel, that we can take that approach to. We can begin with something as simple as water and just let the Spirit lead us into a conversation about Jesus if that's where the Spirit leads the conversation. Free us to start by chatting about the Astros. Free us to start by talking about parenting or shared interests. All these things based on the model of Jesus, can lead us to talking about the God that we know and love with people who don't know him. And so I think there's a great gift in this model. Practice number one, I would say then, is using everyday language to connect with people right where they are. So another practice that I think in the same sentence Jesus highlights, and then it kind of pops up in the rest of the account. The second practice I would highlight is this, that Jesus asks genuine questions in humility. Jesus asks genuine questions in humility. Now, I love the ESV translation, which is the translation you would have in your hands uh, from the Bibles here. But in John 4, 7, I think they missed the boat. There's something lost in translation here that I think actually matters to this point. Jesus doesn't command her to give him a drink. Some of our translations say he said, give me a drink. The NIV better translates here, will you give me a drink? It's a question. He's putting himself in a particular position where he's asking her for something. Derek pointed out last week, I think beautifully, that Jesus' humanity shines through at different points in this encounter with this woman. He's thirsty. And the God who created water, ironically, is now asking his creation to give him some water. And so it's this beautiful encounter with them that centers around a question. And that's hammered home because how does the Samaritan woman respond to Jesus' question? With a question. And so you kind of have this back and forth of all these kind of questions. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And on they go. Now, I love what Dale Bruner, uh, who has a commentary on John, what he writes about this. He says this. He says, an asker, as we know from our life experience, momentarily places oneself beneath the one asked in social power. So here, Jesus goes down low in his initial relation to this woman. He's not only a real human being, but he speaks as a real human being as well. Questions, Bruner writes, are not only the best way to begin conversations, they are the lifeblood 
of great conversations. The interested person is the interested, interesting person. However, he says, notice that Jesus did not begin his conversation with the woman by asking, do you realize you are a sinner? The kind of question matters. But he begins with a question, and he begins from a place of patience and humility and kindness. He is wonderfully human and humane. So when we're talking with someone, in other words, who doesn't know Jesus in our culture today, I think we have to be aware of some things. This is not always true, but I think it's more than likely true that we should assume a couple of things. That the way they are approaching us as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, they are assuming that we think we're better than them. They're assuming that we think we know something they don't and we need to enlighten them about what we know. And they're assuming that ultimately we don't really care about them because the way the world works is everybody's got their tribe and they're just trying to impose their power and their view on every other tribe. And it's tribe against tribe against tribe. And so this is the culture that we're kind of operating in. In other words, there's no benefit of the doubt for authentic Christians. As followers of Jesus, we are perceived in most cases in our culture more and more as bigots and regressive and dangerous and even to be shunned. And so there's no room to bring up conversations about Jesus in polite company. So how can we have meaningful conversations about God in an environment like that? I think Jesus is giving us a beautiful way to do that. Ask questions. Ask genuine questions in a posture of genuine interest and humility. And I would say this too. Asking your friends real questions about what they believe and why they believe it and listening and understanding and adopting this posture of personal interest and humility is not giving tacit approval to their beliefs or their lifestyles, which we may disagree with. Sometimes we worry about that, that we have to take a stand in every conversation, and we don't. We can disagree, we can be honest with them, and we can do it humbly. And the truth is, some people still may reject us, But here, Jesus teaches us one way to engage in a world like that with the gospel, and it's in the humility of asking honest questions. So that's the second practice, ask genuine questions in humility. And then the third um, and final one is just this, that Jesus lived in and was shaped by a biblical reality. Jesus lived in and was shaped by a biblical reality. In verse 13, Jesus says to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living, uh, of water welling up to eternal life. Now, Jesus, in the midst of this conversation about water, very intentionally shifts the topic, the focus of this intentionally shifts from water to something more than water, to living water is what he begins to describe. Now, it's interesting, living water in the Greek here actually is, uh, is understood as a uh, cultural euphemism for water that's moving, for water that rushes or that's alive as opposed to stagnant water at the bottom of a well that just sits there. And so in other words, better water than stagnant water that you might find at the bottom of Jacob's well. And so Jesus and this woman are actually having this kind of play on words conversation here 
about water. And Jesus expands on what living water means. He says it's not just running water. It's a spiritual metaphor for the Spirit of God and for life in God. And he, he says that explicitly in John chapter 7. And so where does Jesus get this idea then of talking about water this way, right? They're having a conversation about water. It ends up talking about Jesus. How does Jesus get there? How does Jesus make a conversation of water about God? How does it become a spiritual conversation? This is what's fascinating to me. Jesus isn't just making this up as he goes along. He's not just riffing uh, off of water. What he's doing is he's tapping into a biblical imagery that is woven throughout the entire story of Scripture. From the primordial waters of creation to the rivers in the garden to the image of water flowing from Jerusalem, the temple, the throne of God, and the prophecies of Isaiah and Zechariah and Ezekiel to Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine and all the way through the New Testament to Revelation 22 where we get this picture of the new creation and guess what flows from beneath the throne to the nations? Living water. And so in other words, when Jesus thinks about water, he's connecting like all these different uh, moments in the story, the much bigger story of God's story with what's happening right here and right now in this encounter with the woman. He's connecting all these things because he lives in that story and he knows that story. So often, we think that reading our Bibles is just about helping us in our relationship with God. And I say just, it is about helping us in our relationship with God, to know him and love him and his love for us and the truth and the power and the grace of the gospel. But our Bible knowledge isn't just for us. It's for others as well. The truth is reading our Bibles helps us to live in a totally different reality, the true reality where we see that a just and loving God reigns sovereign over creation. And the more we inhabit that world as it really is, a world that lives and moves and has its being in God, the more we will see people and circumstances in light of that reality. It becomes the lens through which we see everything. And when we encounter Jesus and stories in the gospel, for example, we can help others do the same. For example, when we encounter someone who's feeling broken, who's struggling, who feels forgotten, uh, we can remember the story of Jesus and the paralytic. Or when someone is struggling with shame, we can remember the story of Jesus and the hemorrhaging woman. When someone has intellectual questions about the gospel, we can remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. When our friends feel lost and at rock bottom, the story of the prodigal son comes rushing to the front of our mind and on our lips. And so the more that we have experienced the power of these stories of God's word in our lives, the more powerfully we can share them with others. It's not just about repeating things that we've heard. It's about sharing what we know. It's about sharing what you've experienced, the healing and the forgiveness and the freedom that you found in Jesus. When we know we are loved by Jesus, we will love talking about Jesus. There are people in your life and in my life that don't have any clue about this reality. They don't know anything about the reality of God's truth and grace of the world that he's created and the world that he inhabits and who he is and what he's like. And they are waiting like this woman at the well for someone to tell them, for it to be revealed to them, for Jesus to come and show them the good and beautiful greater reality of the gospel. 
So the art of spiritual conversation, just three practices I want to encourage us to consider. Use everyday language to connect with people right where they are. Two, ask genuine questions and humility. And then three, live in and be shaped by a biblical reality. Now, honestly, I have about four or five other practices <laughs> that I had on my list, but I was like, that's way too many practices for one sermon. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to read through John chapter four with this lens of apprenticeship this week, because my guess is the Holy Spirit will reveal to you things that we didn't even touch on today in terms of the way Jesus is modeling for us this art of spiritual conversation. For example, we didn't even touch on this, but you might notice the role of the Holy Spirit in this whole process and the things that the Spirit reveals and the way the Spirit guides Jesus or the way Jesus so compassionately and honestly addresses her deep pain. So much gold here that we cannot touch on this morning, but I want to encourage you to look to this as the way that Jesus models for us evangelism and love of people. And so take time this week, read back over John 4 and consider what it teaches us about this ministry of evangelism. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Uh, Lord, we give you praise. We are so grateful that, uh, Lord, someone took the time at some point in our life to share the good news of Jesus with us. And Lord, that uh, they did that out of their love for you and their love for us. And Lord, we wanna do the same. Lord, we are so moved by your love for us and we want others to know that. And so, Lord, help us in this art of spiritual conversation. Uh, Lord, not as something canned or artificial, but something that flows out of who we are because of, Lord, the way we're being shaped by your spirit and your word. Lord, help us to be people that pray for those in our life that don't know you. And Lord, that we might be bold and humble and bring up the name of Jesus as you lead and guide us to. But we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.